Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's up? Not a whole lot. Uh, some good episodes again of The Last Dance, uh, episodes 7 and 8 that we are recapping here. Um, episode 7 focusing a lot on uh, Michael Jordan, the passing of his father, his initial retirement, and going into baseball, as well as, of course, uh, and then, then the 94 season with the Bulls without Jordan, Scottie Pippen in the uh, spotlight. Uh, episode Eight focusing um, a bit on Michael as a challenging teammate uh, coming back in 1995, and um, of course uh, the greatest team of all time, uh, 72 and 10, 96 Bulls, uh, going and winning the championship for Michael's fourth time in his career. Yeah, yeah, two. I, I thought two really cool episodes. I liked uh, both episodes a lot, and uh, leaving us on a cliffhanger again. I like how the last dance has. Uh, right cliffhanger <laughs> edge of your seat oh man yes can uh can michael jordan beat reggie miller that's yeah, the, chris uh, mullen's ball this time so i don't know it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be right. tricky yeah. it's gonna be tough they're all i hope they i god i hope they address how weird it was that the whole team was bald it's so weird and so creepy yes um yeah. i normally you know I, I was i liked the pacers in those days but i remember that year i was just like man i really hope they beat this yeah. creepy ball right. team they're really, yeah. they're really scary and really weird but uh i right. like it I, I like the idea that there probably is somebody out there I mean, no, there, nobody that's listening to us, but I hope that there's somebody out there that is like earnestly being like, "Oh man, what happens next in this story?" <laughs> I don't like, know. you know, there's, I don't got, know. there's, is there somebody? There's got to be somebody. I can't, maybe not. It's ESPN, but there's got to be somebody out there that's just like, "Oh, I don't know what's gonna happen next." Like, yeah, is Jordan gonna just, do it? Are they gonna win? <laughs> like, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah, doesn't know anything. Doesn't know to look at Wikipedia or basketball reference. Just like, right, there's oh, gotta be like, there's not many, but there's gotta be a person out there. Uh, maybe like a child, <laughs> maybe some right. Eight- old or something that's like dad does jordan do it and then the dad just doesn't want to tell him or something yeah maybe maybe it's that you'll find out next week buddy (laughs) tune in next week like this is what we used to have to do as kids we had to tune in next week to find out what was going to happen so this is what you're gonna have to do now yeah that's good yes so episode seven kicks off 1998 uh craig sager of tnt asked jerry cross during a press conference are you surprised the team has stayed together and the chemistry has been that good with all the backstabbing between you and coach <laughs> Greg and sager oh. right pew pew yeah shooting yeah. over there backstage um yeah, yeah. Not, not like that question <laughs> no because there has not been backstabbing and uh he storms off uh and then it's, someone says uh, way to go craig sort of sarcastically after uh, <laughs> after cross does that so that was um that was pretty funny you you don't see i mean i you know fairly accurate uh yeah i feel like uh phil jackson has sort of been let off easy for kind of his role in all this. Maybe they will address it in more detail um, next week, since I, I imagine they're going to be focusing, obviously, uh, pretty much exclusively on 97 and 98, since we're that point in the recounting of the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that'll be definitely a place where it will fit more. But yeah, that his role in all of this uh, was pretty major, and he definitely did a lot to kind of stir the pot throughout the 90s we've talked about before how Reinsdorf also you know the fact that Krauss wasn't really doing you know most of these things in a vacuum and that you know uh Jerry Reinsdorf of course is the you know the man he's ultimately working for and the ultimate the man who ultimately does not want to pay all these uh big salaries so uh Krauss having to sort of take that um you, you know 
take the bullet for him in a lot of cases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right about the Phil Jackson thing. I have noticed so far it's just kind of been like Phil's like, hey, I'm just trying to do my job here and be quiet. Right. And, right. You yeah. know, and as anybody who knows anything about Phil Jackson knows that, uh, not really. I mean, at, at any stop he's been at, he's ruffled a lot of feathers, and, and he does so in a very like calming way, but he's he's a man who knows his own value and understands his value and wants to be paid that value wants to be given certain things when he comes in. And, that, and that's been something that happened in the Lakers. It happened when he took over the Knicks as, as president or whatnot. So um, yeah, it, it, he's, he's so far been kind of painted as just like the guy that was, you know, the coach that just wanted to go there and ha- you know, everything be happy, go lucky and win some titles and stuff. But right. uh, he definitely had, yeah, he, he wasn't innocent in this entire thing. Uh, sure. He, he definitely yeah. stoked the flames for sure. Yeah. A lot, a lot of egos there, obviously. And his was an important part of that. And, and hopefully they get into that a little bit. Yeah, um, and, and he knew, I mean, he knew that the second he, he knew his worth and knew that, Hey, look, you guys are, if you guys let me go, I got you know 30 teams that are going to call me right sure. now and, and give me a lot more money than you guys are giving me because they're all going to be bidding against themselves and stuff. So like he knew what he was doing and, and and he knew his self-worth yeah. and, and yeah you should like i'm not faulting him for that whatsoever no. but yeah it, it's like yeah it, I, he has been sort of painted as, as being an innocent figure uh this entire thing and that's not entirely accurate sure sure um and um so the the 98s um we focus uh, really on the net series, which of course is a, uh, it's a little bit harder than expected when, you know, game one and game two are very close. Um, you know, the Bulls win game one over time. Uh, but then game three, uh, we have a big, um, uh, Scott Burrell has a, has a big game there and the Bulls end up, you know, winning easily in New Jersey to sweep the series. Um, yeah, the other focus of 98 really is about Jordan's relationship with his teammates. We, we kind of get for the first time, um, some of his teammates going on the record about how difficult Jordan was to be as a teammate. Um, Kukos describes him as, you know, everyone kind of had to be on alert with Jordan, especially after a bad game. Um, we see some examples of Burrell being kind of Jordan's whipping boy. Um, <laughs> Jordan's quote is, I try to get him to fight me sometimes, you know, in a good way. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, we see a lot of footage of Jordan, you know, uh, using some colorful language, uh, calling Scott Burrell ho, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, the, the stuff that we see, you know, I don't think we see anything that I would regard as, you know, going over the line. You know, we could, we see Jordan kind of being, um, you know, challenging personality, but most of it's just kind of, you know, standard trash talk that you would yeah, right, right. Nothing, nothing that seems like, you know, abusive or or cruel or anything like that. Although we know Jordan was certainly capable of, you know, at least going to the edge of that. Um, you know, Bushler said, you know, Hey, we were his teammates. We were afraid of him. Purdue said, yeah, he crossed the line many times. Um, I feel like the, the bull sound a little bit like a better spouse. Like, yeah, you know, he was, you know, but it was good for us. We won championships, which, you know, of, of course may very well be true. Right. No, um, yeah. That exact moment where you, you put the note there where they sounded a bit like a better spouse. Uh, I was watching, you know, with my wife, and she was just kind of like, "Hey, what's that thing where like you get abused a bunch, but then you think it's okay?" <laughs> and I was like, right. "Stockholm syndrome." And she's like, "Yes." Right. And yes. then she just went back to like scrolling on her phone, like you know, just to yeah. say, "I think all these men have Stockholm syndrome." Like the best, I thought the one where you saw a little bit of a break was B.J. Armstrong, yeah, uh, where he goes, "Was he a nice guy?" And then he makes this face that's like, "No, <laughs> he was yeah. awful." And then he was like, "He couldn't have been," you know, "He couldn't have been nice," you know, in a way that like, but there was enough. He said enough with the face that he made after the "Was he a nice guy?" thing to say, right. "Absolutely not a nice guy." <laughs> but you no. know, and then it was all kind of met with, you know, "No, he was awful." 
but that's what we needed. Or no, he was awful, but we won titles. So it's like, like right. I said, yeah, it's, it's, and I get in athletics, that's always that sort of aspect as well. I, I get that. Everybody, a lot yeah. of people have coaches or fellow players that they play with that are maybe this way and they respect them in some ways. But yeah, it, it you can tell for some people it was a little much, but you know, John Busher were afraid of him. I don't know if you should necessarily be afraid <laughs> of your teammate, like, right. but you know. Yeah. No, I mean, and it may be true. I mean, it may be true that Jordan, you know, being that way um, may have, you know, the Bulls may have had more, have had given them more success than they otherwise would have had if Jordan had been a little bit more chill. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, Jordan certainly seems to think that that's true. So, sure. You know, hey, winning as a price, leadership as a price. That's, it's, that's what it was. That's what I had to do in order to be as good as I could be and, and my team be as good as they could be. And, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I very well could be true. Um, but um, so I yeah I don't know if we get um, we get a little bit of the uh, you know I'm going to put quote marks around ugly side of Jordan but the you know the, the 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 part of Jordan that you know he definitely didn't want you to see in this documentary is at least showing you glimpses of is is here yeah for sure no and this this is why I really like these episodes as well is we, we got a little bit of that breakdown we got a little bit of of what I think people have been sort of looking for is is footage from the practices footage you know not in the games you know footages right. of sort of before and after games you know footages of and that sort of stuff particularly at Scott Burrell and then also I thought the juxt- you know quickly cutting to every one of the teammates kind of saying largely the same thing in, in some different words you know essentially that you know we were afraid of him you know he wasn't a nice guy and then you know adding the the, the qualifier of but you know that maybe we needed that or yeah we won and all that sort of stuff but no I thought that was it was cool to kind of you know like you said it wasn't really necessarily the quote-unquote bad side but as it, at least it was a little bit for the viewer at home to know hey look this guy there was a not bad a nasty side to him in some ways so there was a side that that maybe didn't always you know see eye to eye with his teammates or wasn't always the best friend to his teammates or whatnot so mm-hmm. so then we go back to 1993 um Jordan says uh, here that he knew in the game six of the win over the Suns to win the third championship that that was going to be the end um, for him. He was planning to, to retire at that point, at least he was seriously thinking about it, and only his dad was aware of that at, at that time. Um, they go a little bit into Jordan's relationship with his father. A lot of people talk about how they were you know, always together, and he was more like a friend than a dad and so on uh and then we get you know the, the the basic details of you know of james jordan going missing and um eventually you know his car being found and then his body being found um you know it was fairly common for him to go off and do and kind of go off on his own and, and travel or do things or whatever but he would you know maintain content with um you know with his wife and with the family and um and then uh it's interesting you know i think the the thing that i that was most interesting about this is Jordan, you know, pretty immediately saying that like, you know, I, I want to focus on the positive here. You know, it's like, you know, I want to turn a negative into his positive. Mm-hmm. And his, his, his mom also very much had that mentality. And that was sort of what helped him get through it. It, it you know, it, it's hard for me to imagine in that situation. And, you know, it, as you know, and I, I'm probably talked to some of the listeners about it at, at some point, you know, I lost my dad um, when he was in his early fifties and I was you know close to Jordan's age at the same point. Um, and in that, that it means really hard to focus on a, a, a positive there, even if you have another outlet to do something like, you know, Jordan would eventually decide to do mm-hmm. with you know, playing baseball and, you know, summoning the challenge there and, you know, fulfilling his father's dream in a way with that. But, um, I, I just, that, that was sort of an interesting look into, 
um, I guess, you know, the mindset of Jordan to a degree that in a way I hadn't really thought of before. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was really good. Um, I, I thought the way that they did this and, and I thought it was a nice, you know, way to go from like, Hey, here's this guy who was really mean to all his teammates. It was kind of an asshole into, you know, here's what sort of motivated him. And here's, you know, uh, the relationship with his father and here's, you know, the tragedy of his, his father's uh, death and how the way that people were covering it. Uh, the way that people kind of question his involvement in it, and and, right, and you right. see absolutely why, like you would just want to get as far away from this as as, as humanly possible uh, when that all comes, you know, crashing down. I think this this documentary has done a good job of of because you know in in prior times where you've kind of heard this story, you kind of feel like it was you know, hey, that murder happened, and then George just decided I need to get away. This sort of I think does a better job of painting the tale that you know even by ninety two and all the way through ninety three you could see it's just wearing on him. It's just absolutely wearing on this guy. The gambling stuff comes up, all this sort of questions are come up. Now his father's dead. You know now more people are asking, hey, is the gambling related to your father's death? And all sorts of stuff. So you absolutely get then why this guy would make this like just insanely rash decision to say, you know what, fuck it, I'm done playing basketball. I'm going to play baseball. You you, you see it a little bit more, and they've done a good job of maybe rationalizing it a little bit more and not making it seem like it was just this, you know, fly by night off the wall, harebrained idea that he had, you know, overnight to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, he had told, you know, Mark Venzel in 1992, um, before the dream team that, yeah, he, he had planned to wanted to retire and wanted to go play baseball, something that he was seriously thinking about. And then, and part of the reason he stayed in 93 is because he wanted three Pete since magic, magic and bird hadn't done that. And he wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, he was still obviously seen in a similar light with, um, them. Um, and, you know, he, they, they go into, you know, David Falk telling Reinsdorf that Michael wants to retire. Um, Reinsdorf says that he wants Jordan to talk to Phil. And he tells Phil, like, I have no more challenges. I have no more motivation. You know, I, I just don't want to do this. Um, and then, uh, and I forgot about this, but, um, you know, Jordan attends a White Sox playoff game in 93 against against the Blue Jays in, in Chicago. Reinsdorf, of course, owns the White Sox. Um, and... You know, during that game, there the news breaks that Jordan is going to retire the next day. You know, there's national, uh, there's live media coverage. You know, uh, they show you know the crazy scene at the press conference the next day. Uh, you know, Tom Brokaw's there live. You know, calls him at that point the greatest basketball player who ever lived. You know, which is sort of interesting that even that Jordan was thought of that way. Even in, I mean, not not a huge surprise he was thought of that way in '93, but you know, '93, I think he's closer to you know, the, you know, Bird and Magic and Russell and, you know, those guys plus, you know, obviously Kareem had a lot more longevity. I think the, the conversation around Jordan in 98 makes more sense to me than than it being that way in 93, but obviously he had accomplished a lot by 93 as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, you know, at, at the press conference, Jordan doesn't completely close the door on coming back someday. In fact, he, he views that as a possible future challenge. Um, and, you know, nothing about ba- – nothing um, – yet about baseball the, the idea that he would come back to baseball hadn't been um you, you know wasn't discussed there it hadn't broken his desire to um to do that but you know fairly quickly obviously he um you know uh ends up you know i mean you know we go into kind of the particulars of the going into baseball story which i think we've heard a lot before i don't think a lot new there um the one thing that i uh that was interesting is that he went to double A instead of single A because the press facilities weren't able to handle him in right, single A, right. but at double A they had a little bit better one. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And, um, you know, and then the, he gets it, they get into the fact that he felt very betrayed by 
the Sports Illustrated cover and story that was called that the headline was Baggett Michael after, you know, he was really struggling in baseball. And, um, you know, then he never talked to Sports Illustrated again. And that the, the thing that he said he was offended most by was the fact that the writer didn't actually interview him for the story and even try to get his, his point of view during the um, story. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I do enjoy that they I, I do like that they kind of calmed. They didn't do too much into the baseball story because right. I think they understand that you know, most people know the story of the baseball thing and if you don't there's an entire 30 for 30 about that I was a little sure. worried that we were going to spend you know half an episode on that or whatever and it was you know they did just enough to kind of tell you hey here's this diversion he made and then okay we're, we're done we're going right back to basketball and I enjoyed that because it's, it's a story that's been told a lot there's not a whole lot else to tell and unless they have any new information why bother you know uh, you, you know, working on it or, or, or talking even more about it. So I, I was fine with a little bit that they put in there, showed a little bit of the footage, talked about how, you know, he struggled and then basically gets right into, okay, look, this guy wants to go back and play baseball, <laughs> you know, basketball, this baseball thing's fun for a little bit, but it's time to, you know, get back to basketball. So I, I, I like that they were a little quick with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the rest of the of the episode focuses on 94. Of course, you know, the Bulls without Jordan for the first time. Uh, Pippen has a great season. You know, they they have um, kind of a mix of the of the new and the old. You know, they still have Horace Grant. They still have B.J. Armstrong. It's Kukoc's first year and Steve Kerr's first year. Uh, Pete Myers is a big part of that team, kind of a forgotten bull. Um there, you know, uh, but definitely, obviously, a team kind of in transition between the two. Um uh, I think it was Kerr who had a funny quote, um, or maybe it was Pippen. I forget what um, one of them said, you know, what was it like that year? And then uh, basically said, yeah, they had nobody yelling at them, you know, so the team was yeah. a little bit looser, had more fun. <laughs> it was Pippen, actually. Which was yeah, that's right, right. right. He's like, well, yeah. no one was yelling at him, and, you know, everybody right. was getting the ball, and everybody was kind of feeling happy. It was like, hey, I get the ball, you know, if I move, you know, if I miss. I don't get yelled at, like you know, when practice is over, you know, it's fine. So yeah, it, it's it's a fun year, and I'm glad that they spotlighted that year a little bit and and talked about just how good uh, that team was. I know you can't, you couldn't spend too much time on that '94 team, but right. it's a really really cool team. Like it's one of my favorite sure. teams in NBA history to talk about because it's like they lost, you know, the best player of all time, one of the best players of all time, and they, you know, they. I don't want to say they didn't skip, you know, miss a beat or whatever. They obviously missed a, a few beats here and there, but we're a pretty damn good team with with Scottie Pippen at the point at. at the you know, the peak of his powers, uh, Tony Kukoc coming in and immediately contributing Horace Grant now entering his prime. BJ Armstrong was still solid at that time. Steve Kerr, who had been a good scorer uh, on other teams comes to the team. So yeah, there was a lot of really good talent on that team. So it was cool that they, uh, you know, didn't just gloss over that year and did talk a little bit about how important, uh, that year was in, in the growth of a lot of those players and, 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 and the growth in, in just the Bulls team in general and Phil Jackson too, you know, about Phil Jackson's great coaching and, and being able to really run the triangle to, to the way that he really wanted to on that year as well yeah and um yeah definitely fun team you know and then you know a few clips but mostly focus on you know um eastern conference semifinals against the knicks you know game three um patrick ewing hits a shot that gives the knicks the lead uh bulls call time out um phil jackson calls a play for kukoc to get the last shot and they they make a big deal about how kukoc had had like three or four game winners already that season so he was kind of used to get you know he'd had um uh, it hit some big shots. It wasn't it, like it was um, alien him for get, to get those shots, but Pippen felt like disrespected and angry at that moment, feeling like he should be the guy who gets the ball that, um, you know, felt insulted by Phil and refuses to go into the game. You know, you and I have talked about this on the show um, before, of course, and then Kukoc ends up hitting the game winner anyway. Um, and then there's, you know, in the locker room, even though the Bulls have just won and are you know, back in the series down to one, 
Um, you know, everyone's really obviously upset about what happened and feel like Pippen let them down. Um, Bill Cartwright, you know, makes an emotional speech. Um, and you, you see actually Cartwright sitting next to Pippen on the bench, you know, after he refuses to go in and, and talking to him. Um, you know, Cartwright by then was, you know, he was on the team still, but, you know, was, yeah, I think he was 36 and, you know, didn't really play very much at that point anymore, was obviously more of a locker room leader. Um, but, you know, um, you know, Cartwright cries and then Pippen cries and admits to making a mistake. And um, the team, you know, obviously recovers okay. Uh, you know, Pippen has some great games and has that uh, dunk on Ewing in game six. But, you know, the Knicks are a better team and end up winning in um, in game seven. Uh, Jordan relays a story of calling Phil Jackson and said, yeah, I don't know if he's ever, he's ever going to live this down, um, you know, the, the having done, done this. And obviously it's something that did hurt Pippen's reputation a lot, although – um, obviously the team rebounded fine on that. Um, I don't know anything more you have to say on that. Not really. Yeah, I, I was uh, unfortunately they uh, they, they cut out the clip, or I, I I don't know if they really zoomed in on the clip all that much. My favorite thing about the the, the Pippen, um, you know, sitting in the '94 playoffs and you know not trying to get in the game is you know they, they showed you know Bill Cartwright sitting next to him. They showed you know a few other guys talking to him. They showed Phil Jackson being like super pissed off, like the shock was right. in, and everyone's right. like yay, and Phil just looks like he wants to die. He just hates it. Uh, my favorite yeah. thing that happens in that entire sequence, though, is uh, when they're making the huddle. Uh, Scott Williams, who I think just tried to talk to Scottie Pippen and, and apparently got <laughs> told, you know, get the fuck out of here. No, I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, you see Scott Williams, and they cut it right before you see it. He walks up, you know, past the huddle and just kind of rolls his eyes. And, like, you know, I, I for, he's talking to somebody. I forget who it is, but he's just kind of rolling his eyes. So it's like that's where I maybe got the idea that maybe this wasn't the first time this year that, that Scottie had done something that, you know, made the entire team go like, oh, here we go again. There's, uh, you know, Scottie doing scotty things uh, sure. again but uh yeah, yeah. just a, a really a uh, crazy moment that like yeah can you imagine that moment happening in like 2020 with like a player you, you know what i mean like i i think it, it's such a huge deal that it happened even then but like even in this i mean in this environment in this social media age in the age where people just hyper focus on every little thing like can you even fathom like the a team star player just not wanting to go in because the play wasn't drawn up for him I mean, and, it, and it was pretty hard yeah I mean, it would just be ridiculous we'd be t- if Kyrie Irving does that like we are never not talking about that every single time we talk about Kyrie Irving but it is uh, a testament I guess uh that Scotty was able to kind of let that go and 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 yeah what you hear there which is pretty cool that he pretty much immediately realized that I was a pretty terrible decision that I made and and I do wonder if, if the shot didn't go in if he uh what what you know what would have happened uh in that situation too because it was easy to kind of forget ah whatever you know who cares Tony made it we're moving on like you know whereas you know had he not made it maybe you know there'd be a little bit more eyeballs on it yeah yes so episode eight uh 98 uh we get through the Bulls Hornets playoff series uh, B.J. Armstrong at this point is on the Hornets. Um, Bulls win game one very easily here. Uh, and then, but B.J. actually has a, a big game two for the Hornets, um, including, you know, beating Jordan on a drive and hitting a big jumper toward the end of the game, which gave, you know, the, the Hornets basically an insurmountable lead. And, uh, you know, B.J. admits to, like, you know, letting everyone know, you know, on letting, you know, Jordan know, letting Phil know, letting Scotty know, like, hey, you know, I, I hit this big one. You know, he obviously um, was upset about, uh, you know, um, I don't know, did he get traded? Did he get let go? I, I don't know. I forget. So, B.J. was, BJ was uh, expansion draft, right? 
Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, which would give yeah. you, an, you know, like I would be pretty pissed too if I got. Yeah, sure. you know what? You know, go to the Raptors or whatever. I think he, you know, he was expansion draft and then didn't want to report to the Raptors like many people and, and, did at the time. Then, I think we yeah. talked about it in our We the North episode that like that's right. Yeah. There was quite a few players that were told, "Hey, you're going to the Raptors," and they said, "No, I am not. I will not no. be playing for the Toronto Raptors." Actually, I will not. Vancouver, no. don't know where that's at. Nope, not going. Nope, <laughs> so nope that's not, not going. Happening. So, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, you know, Jordan's quote is, oh, yeah, BJ should have known better. Um, and then we get 1996 footage. Um, among the best thing that we have here, we've got Michael Jordan sitting at his locker. He's swinging a baseball bat. He has a cigar unlit. Um, but slightly lit, though. Like lit oh, previously. There's ash on it. It's a very okay. weird. It's a very weird. Right. I was I was staring there. So there's like a coffee cup and there's a cigar in there. And okay. then there's another cigar that he's holding that has ash, but it's clearly not lit. Right. Right. Uh he has in I think he has it in his mouth at some point, but it's but I don't think it's ever lit, you yeah, know, on, on camera. Very strange, yeah. Yes. Um He's very not mad in the scene at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's, he's he's explaining how much he is not mad, as you explain <laughs> right. when you are not mad about yeah, something. Yeah, no, I'm totally not mad. Look how but, not mad I am, everybody. I'm not mad. <laughs> but he does say, you know, that yeah, he's gonna bust BJ's ass, and that he's gonna, you know, that yeah, they should not have messed with us type thing. But he's definitely not mad about it. But but yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, Jordan just, it's another example of Jordan, um, you know, looking for a reason to, you know, get his competitive juices flowing and, you know, and, and kick somebody's ass. Not, not in this case, it was pretty easy to find the reason. But, uh, and that, that sort of segues into the LeBradford Smith story, which I had completely forgotten about. Yeah, who knew we were going to get a LeBradford Smith? <laughs> I like... I, I walk out of the room and I come back in and they're like, LeBradford Smith. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I've never thought of LeBradford Smith uh, in quite a while. This is what a pull this was. Just yes. a, a great, like, there's so many Michael Jordan revenge games, but everybody knows about all those. Everybody's always seen all those. It's all players we know about. I love the pull here to grab a LeBradford Smith pull because that's, again, I think that shows the, you know, the psychotic nature of Michael Jordan is that this guy would, you know, score on him. And it would just drive Jordan fucking up the wall. And, like, any anybody that did anything to Jordan would, would drive him up the wall. He, he he used that as motivation. But just knowing that it was some nobody named LeBradford Smith, but you know that night Michael Jordan was just like, fuck that guy. <laughs> and know the next night that he was playing and was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make that guy's life miserable. Uh, so pretty cool. Kind of. Right. Well, kind of. Well, it's funny, yeah, because yeah. David Aldridge starts off, oh, you, you know this one? Have you told, heard this one yet? So he, he outlines the story. LeBevere Smith is a, uh, a rookie for the Bullets. I think this is 93, he said, um, and he scores 37 points in a game, you know, as, as the game of his life. Jordan does not play well in that game, um, you know, and then as the story goes, he says at the end of it, oh, nice game, Mike, you know, and then Mike's mad about it. He's fuming, and then they happen to have a back-to-back, so they're in Washington the next night. And Jordan says, oh, I'm going to outscore him in the first half. He comes close. He scores 36 in the first half, something like 46 or 48 in the game. Just completely annihilates him. But it turns out years later, Jordan admits that he made up the story. That, he, that it wasn't it wasn't real. LeBaron Smith never said, nice game, Mike. So I guess the lesson is that you don't really need to um, do something to make Jordan mad. Like it, it doesn't matter if you do or if you don't. He's going to be mad about it anyway. He's going to make something up to be mad about right, to motivate right, him right. to do that. So um, that's uh, it's interesting. Of course, you know it's oh, interesting to it, it makes you um, immediately you 
raises suspicions about whether you trust anything that Michael Jordan ever says. Uh, but, um, <laughs> You're talking to the wrong but, guy on that because I, I I take a little like I take pretty much every single thing that Jordan says and kind of think eh, is that really like is the, that really true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. and anybody sure. who knows anything about basketball history or has studied you know basketball history, I think would would, would usually take the same. Um, approach with anything Michael Jordan says too. So yes. he's he's a man who uses things and makes things up in his mind to, to motivate himself, which again is fine, like whatever. Sure. But yeah, don't don't take much of what Michael Jordan says at face value. Which you know. yes, which of course you know we're watching whole documentary, <laughs> which makes it a little tough when you're watching you know, a documentary right. that he has editorial uh, oversight over. So yeah, it's right. a little it's a little weird. But and that's what I said. Like I have I have I have people that I know that are watching it, and I just said just understand that Michael Jordan, he's he's. He's not always the truthful, so don't don't take everything that you're seeing here as gospel. Like like, do your own research, look things up, like find out because and, and especially this documentary, he has his finger on it, so he's maybe maybe they're not going to say, hey, you know, th- Jordan says this happened, but that actually didn't happen. That's wrong. Like they they're probably not going to challenge him on stuff like that. So do your own independent research, ask some of your own questions, and think about all that sort of stuff. It's a supremely entertaining documentary, but still yeah. understand that you know the guy at the yeah. end of the day who's who's has the final say is also the star of, of the documentary so sure absolutely yeah i i guess i we didn't really um we, we should have at least touched on it back in the section which you know um jordan's teammates are kind of talking about what difficult guy is and jordan you know himself uh he, he mentions that he, he was difficult but he, he gets very emotional at the idea that like not all of his teammates like wanted to like go out there and win like it's a it's, it's a very it's a little bit of a corny moment, frankly, uh, for Jordan. The, 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 something that I did not expect him to get emotional about was just like, guys, not you know, to race with him. Yeah, it's it's a little, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little. Um, it, it, it's one of the things that doesn't. It doesn't quite ring true to me. I don't know, but, but Jordan's like, again, Jordan's weird. Jordan's kind of crazy. So you know, I'll. Um, and you know, again, with the with the way that they're editing the story, maybe the um, in context it makes a little bit more sense than how it fit together in the documentary. But um, but yes, that that was kind of a weird one. But um, anyway, we um, we kind of focused on '95 and '96 here. Um, you know, Jordan, of course, went off to play baseball. Baseball has a strike, so Jordan, um, he's not going to be a replacement player, So, um, and it looks like the strike's going to be a while, so he considers, hey, maybe I'll go get back into basketball. He visits one practice, and that turns into you know a few practices, starts to get involved with the team. You know, word gets out that he's you know practicing with the team, so there's you know rumors that he might you know join back. David Falk tells a story about he had like three or four versions of the famous press release. Um, Jordan doesn't like any of them, so Falk is like, "All right, you do it." And then Jordan basically just writes, "I'm back," and that's what it famously is. Um, of course, the '95 team was quite a bit worse than the '94 team had been. They lost Horace Grant to the uh, Magic. Uh, famously, uh, uh, Reinsdorf did a, a press conference about how Horace, you know, betrayed the team, basically, and um, which they, they did not get into that. But that oh, weird! It's so yeah, strange that that got cut on the the, the the floor. Yeah, Darren. Right. Um, and then Jordan's, uh, Jordan's quote to Bill Wennington is jump on the Cape as if, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, which is a good one. Um, Jordan talks about being, uh, they talk about Jordan, you know, being emotional playing for the first time without his dad. He goes with the number 45 as the 
new beginning. Um, you know, the, the comeback has its ups and downs, but a couple uh, things that are highlighted, of course, are Jordan hitting a big game winner against the Hawks. And, and, and of course, more famously, the double nickel 55 point game at Madison Square Garden um, that occurred, I think it was like within the first 10 games of his um, of his comeback. But um the Bulls do reach the Eastern Conference Finals against the Magic, and in you know a, a moment that is generally erased from NBA history, the uh, Magic win that series in six games. Uh, semifinals, correct? Semifinals, yes. Semi- yeah. Just want to make sure because I know people. Ah, yes, right. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the, the narrative is that you know Michael Jordan wasn't in playing shape; he wasn't you know ready to go, and and I mean he scored thirty one points that series, so it may have it may have just right. been that Orlando was really good. Right. You know, that Shaquille O'Neal was 22 years old and really good. And Anthony Hardaway was, you know, 22, 23 years old and very good. And Horace Grant was in the prime of his career. Nick Anderson was in the prime of his career. And Michael Jordan scored 31 points. He shot 47% from the field. Like, he, yeah. I think he was in basketball shape. Like, I think he was good to go. But, you know, that's fine if that's what the story they want to tell. But uh, I don't know if I quite buy that story. I think. Oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, yes, he was not 100% basketball shape. But, you know, he was pretty effective in the series i mean the team wasn't that good you know no, i team, mean that's and that's yeah. really it adding dennis Rodman yeah. the next year was huge it, it, it right. changed the entire complexion of that entire team it made the team a lot better it let tony kukoc come off the bench which was a better role for him it you, you know it, yeah it, it you know replacing pj armstrong with ron harper another huge upgrade at, at that time too or you know ron harper was on a team but he really became uh you know an integral part of the team the next year or whatever so yeah there's yeah. there's a lot of things that happened to make that 96 team that much better and yeah michael jordan maybe being you know in tip top shape and 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 whatnot but yeah like the, the idea that like oh michael jordan was just out of gas and, and that's the reason orlando won i mean i don't know it, it's still it was 31 points it was, it was part of it but yeah it was the whole thing right yeah and then you know jordan you know uh gets the ball stolen a game one by nick anderson turns the ball over in the final possession uh nick anderson uh says 45 isn't the same as 23 so uh, Jordan does go back to the number 23 in game two. He has a big game in game two that the Bulls um, do win, I believe. Um, and Jordan says, hey, 45 wasn't natural, which I don't know what that means. I don't really know. I, I, I find I find the whole switching the number thing a little weird. Um, just, you know, I guess what difference does it make? But, you know, obviously it meant something to Jordan um, mentally. Um, and, yeah, in the game six, Jordan, you know, hits an air ball toward the end and then Nick Anderson himself hits the game winner. You see the magic put Horace um, on their shoulders in um, triumph. Of course, the, the, the magic do go to the finals that year, but lose uh, in a sweep to the Rackets, who, uh, as a lot of people know on Twitter, are not mentioned once in this documentary. No, yeah. Poor uh, <laughs> poor Curtis Harris. Not getting any love for his uh, Houston Rockets. So. Yeah, I'm sure a, lot of, a lot of us uh, are upset about that, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, the fact, yeah, the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I do find it sort of uh, interesting that I'm mean, not that you would have spent a lot, a lot of time on it, but uh, you know, no mention at all or nothing about Akeem, uh, you know, in Jordan. It feels like right, who was in the same draft. I mean, who was drafted number one right. in the same draft? Like it, it right. seems like you might, you could probably just spend a second on it, but you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know. So, uh, and then we get a little Space Jam, which my uh, when there was footage of uh, Space Jam on my dog, my dog growled at the screen. Good for boy, a moment. So, good boy. Yes, yeah. so. So he doesn't like Space Jam either, apparently. Well, so good. He's smart. Your dog is smarter than a lot of humans who lie to themselves and think that Space Jam is a good movie. So yes, um, yes. They, 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 I, I thought it was cool to see footage of you know the practices that were being held. How cool um, is this? There. 
yeah, this is my favorite part of the entire series so far because I like I didn't know about I did not I knew that he was like training during this time, but I assumed it was just like you know he went to some high school and put up shots and and whatnot. I didn't know they they built a goddamn dome for him. Right, (laughs) this is awesome. This is really cool. And there's like gym equipment there, and there's this nice court. And then you're seeing these these games, and you're like, man, where's the footage of these games? I want to see Juwan Howard and Reggie Miller and Dennis Rodman and like plaid shorts, you know playing at 9 p.m. on you know, the Hollywood set. Like, this was awesome. I love this scene. All right. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, so, 96. Uh, Real quickly, I did I sure. did find it pretty awesome, too, that, uh, you know, uh, you know we're, we're, you know, we're giving a critical eye to a lot of what Jordan does, but we're also tipping our cap when, when he, he does some good stuff, too. And I love the idea of him saying, hey, guys, I got this uh, practice facility if you guys want to come out here and play or whatever. It's like, right. you idiots, you're getting him in basketball shape and right. he's scouting yes. you. Like, no, don't yeah. go. Right. Like, this guy's yes. dominating the NBA. Like, let him figure out it out on his own. Like, <laughs> you got all these guys yeah. like, okay, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll yeah, play some not? basketball yeah. games with you. You're getting him in shape, you guys. And now he knows yeah. all about you. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Like, right. Reggie, what are you doing? Funny. Reggie, get out of there. Right, man. right. Um, yeah. But, man, I want footage of those games. You know, I want, I like, someone's got to have something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean they showed a little bit here and there, but yeah, it'd be nice to it'd be cool to see more if if that uh, if that happened. But you had shirts for skins. You got Jawan Howard as right. as skins, yeah. just dunking on people. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I want that. That's awesome. Yeah, Jawan looking good, man. Yeah, it was looking fantastic. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah. So you know, by '96, you know, most of the Bulls, you know, had other than of course, you know, uh, Pippen and Jordan, you know, had not been there in '93. I think I think Wennington was on the '93 team as well, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously a low number of guys there. A lot of big, a lot of turnover in the roster. Um, you know, Jordan and Kerr tell their sides of you know getting into a fight in um, in, in practice. You know, Jordan's mad at at Phil Jackson for basically calling you know cheap foul what he feels are, are cheap file fouls to kind of protect Kerr. Uh, Jordan feels like, you know, okay, you know, if Kerr can't, can't take this, how is he going to help us, you know, against the Knicks or whatever? Um, and and they get into a Kerr punches Jordan in the, in the chest and then Jordan punches a Kerr in the eye. Then Jordan says, oh, I felt bad about it later. I beat the little guy on the court and he went to, um, you know, he, he looks, he gets Steve Kerr's number and he calls him and he apologizes to him. And, and Kerr felt like, okay, well, I, you know, I, I kind of stared down Jordan on that one. I, I, I didn't just take it. So he kind of respected me from that point forward. And it was good for us to get this out of the way um, at the time. So I've heard that story before, but it was, it was kind of good to hear kind of from both their points of view. Yeah. Yeah. They actually get it from Kerr's point of view as well. And not just kind of hearsay. So yeah, it was, it was cool. I like, I think people, a lot of people were waiting for it to be like this super salacious story. And it was just like, yeah, he punched me. And then, you know, we moved on from there. So it's like, oh, all right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that was that's fine. That was good. Um, of course, you know, the, the big addition is Rodman, as we talked about. The Bulls, you know, uh, we they run through, you know, we don't get a lot of detail on this season, which is fine. Um, you know, the, yeah, it, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting. I'm like getting ready for like 96 and they're like, all right, it gets the Sonics. And I'm like, well, all right. Like, oh, that's all right. Fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I guess when you win 72, there's not a ton to get to. But yeah, they, they right. really quickly went over the, I mean, they, they spend like excruciating amounts of time on like, a lot of these seasons and they're just like, yeah, bulls start 23 and two. And then they're facing the size of the finals. I'm like, okay, well, right. we're there. But I mean, I guess the playoffs, there wasn't too much, you know? Yeah. They talk about the magic a little bit. Obviously they, they beat him in the Eastern conference. Right, final. Right, right. You know, we, we did the episode with Kelly Dwyer talking a lot about it, but you know, Horace is basically, yeah, like we didn't have a chance. They don't get into anything with, you know, with Penny and Shaq, but again, that's not really the purview here. So that's yeah, fine. For sure. Um, 
you know, uh, in the finals, uh, Michael Jordan gets mad because George Carl doesn't say hello to him. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's too sad. Another uh, person that hates George Carl, but for like the least reason that anybody's ever hated George Carl. Like everybody else uh, hates George Carl because he's a snake yeah. and he's an asshole right. and he's this. And Michael's just like, he didn't say hi to me. Well, I think <laughs> I think Jordan actually likes George Carl. Right. Well, it's weird because they're, they're both gigantic guys. assholes. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. oh, you were saying, yeah. yes. You're right. also saying they went yeah to the same yeah. college. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Sonics go down 03, you know, the, the story is that Gary Payton didn't defend Jordan, which I, I don't think is like a hundred percent true, but definitely he was not the primary defender for him. And, you know, they switched that in game four. Uh, why it took to game four is, is, you know, kind of questionable, but yeah, George Carl. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, a stubborn guy. Yeah. Jordan goes six of 19 from the field. The Sonics win, you know, game four and blowout. They win game five easily as well. Both of these, of course, are in Seattle. Um, and then you get a one of the better you know scenes in this documentary is you know it, it, we've been kind of getting it from Peyton's kind of point of view. It's like yeah, you know I really want to tire him out. You know, it's like I was really mad they didn't you know didn't call on me till game four, and I was just like f it, you know I'm I'm gonna do it. And then you know you see Peyton say oh, yeah yeah you know I you know I don't know if it would change the course of it, but it definitely took a toll on him. And then you see Jordan watching on an iPad, and he just like busts out laughing at the idea that Peyton, you know, could contain him. And then and Jordan's like, yeah, I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. But you look at the last three games of the 96 finals, you know, Jordan, um, you know, 37% uh, shooting on 20 shots per game, 23.7 points, you know, way, obviously way, way below his average, you know, almost four turnovers a game, 48.5 true shooting percentage. So, you know, whether it was exactly because, you know, Peyton guarding him or whether he just, you know, tired out a little bit or, you know, whatever, um, you know, it, it definitely he did not play, you know, to his normal standards in the, those last three games of the finals. Didn't really matter. Um, you win, you know, they, they, of course, you know, win it in game six. Uh, it's Father's Day. You see Jordan having, um, you know, giving a um, emotional speech um, afterward, you know, talking about, you know, talking about his family, talking about how he won it for his dad. And then what is just, you know, one of the most shocking things I've ever seen is you see – Jordan, you know, laid out on the floor, you know, by himself with, except for a few cameras there, um, holding the ball and just weeping, mm-hmm. you know, uncontrollably at, um, you know, uh, you know, afterward, of course, you know, with the, just the emotional, uh, the emotions coming out of him after, you know, with what that obviously meant to him, which I, pretty shocking to see that, uh, honestly, I, I, you know, that is not something I would want to be to be seen of me, but, um, but obviously really powerful, really emotional stuff, really, um, you know, um, incredible part of the story. Yeah. I thought it was, what I found really interesting about that scene is that, you know, other than the, the, the cameras that were obviously filming him doing it. And then there was, I think one other guy there, I forget who it was. It was one of the rare times that you saw Jordan without people around him. There wasn't, you know, 10 people around him. There wasn't, you know, a bunch of cameras around him. There wasn't a bunch. It was like one of his few moments of of being by himself and one of his few moments of him, you know, uh, being able to kind of be in his own emotions or whatnot. And, and, and yeah, you see, you know, it all get let out right there, which was a really good way to end. Uh, well, sort of not officially on this episode, but mostly right. on this episode as we had, you know, the, the obviously the cliffhanger with the Indiana Pacers at the end. Right. Of it. But yes, um, no, I thought it was a really, really good scene to put in there. And I, I did like the, you know, the, the lack of music that it was just kind of silence and all you heard was his crying or whatnot. And I thought that it really does a good job, I think, of setting up uh, the final two episodes uh, of the series. So, yeah, really, really, really good stuff there by them. 
Yeah, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, a bit of a teaser for next week. Uh, Reggie uh, talks about how he thinks, okay, yeah, now I'm going to I'm gonna retire Michael Jordan. It's going to happen for me, you know, uh, type type thing. So, um, and, and obviously it's a tough series, and we're going to talk about next week, but but that's uh, – but, yeah, um, you know, two really great, good episodes, really um, great stuff, even though, you know, again, they, they, they tackled subjects, a lot of stuff that I think we're pretty familiar with and has been told um, otherwise, but they did a, a pretty good job of – you know, hitting what they needed to on those things, but but focusing on less, um, you know, less well-known aspects of those things or, you know, other things that were going on during that time. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. They, these were, I thought, two really, really good episodes. I mean, nothing like groundbreaking or, or you know, unbelievable, but it, it, it felt like the most concise storytelling, I think, in the entire episode or in the entire series so far because we're, we're tightening up the window here a little bit. Like you said, we're, we're bouncing between 96 and, and, and 98. We're starting to – everything's kind of closing in on itself, and you're seeing the reason why, you know, you start out in 1991 and, 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 or, you know, 1984 basically uh, to 1998 and keep kind of closing that gap, closing that gap, closing that gap. And as we get closer, and as you kind of said a little bit earlier, we're converging on the same amount of time, and it's starting to make things a little bit more interesting too because everything that's – everything that's – you know, they're going back and showing you something that happened a year or so ago, but it's still has so profound effects on what's going on you know in the present as well so yeah i'm really liking the way that the storytelling is going so yeah i really like these episodes i thought they're really really good yeah yeah it'll be fun to get into 97 98 uh next week i i'm i'm assuming we're not going to get I, I wonder if we'll get any wizards at all or if that will even not you know even be brought up or anything post 98 will be brought up with jordan it'll be interesting to see if they if they dip into that at all uh, i'm guessing probably not yeah no interviews with the uh... Jerry Stackhouse, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, I did yeah. real quickly. I want to put in my notes here. Can we talk about how incredible the legalized Kemp sign was? Oh yes, that is incredible. <laughs> right. I hope that if, if that's not the thing that comes out of this episode, oh yeah, that people just start using hashtag legalized Kemp. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I love it, man. It's great. Yes. How progressive in 1996 as well in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, I guess you know in Seattle they were you know yeah. pretty progressive. Uh, yeah. Town at that time, but I love legalized Kemp, man. I I, I yeah, don't know why, but I, why am I just now finding out about that sign? Like, what an incredible, well, yeah, damn. Well, to, all my yeah. life has been wasted without right. knowing we'll that to, legalized Kemp was a thing. That's incredible. We'll, we'll have to get, a, we'll see if we can get a T-shirt. Yeah, you know? I'd, I'd love to wear a T-shirt that said legalized yeah. Kemp. So there you go. There I guess I go. could design it, but uh, too lazy. Yeah, yeah. someone else yeah. will do it. But it's honestly, literally, by the time I wake up, the, that I, show, will yeah. like, right. I could sit here and try to design one, but if I just wait eight hours, somebody else will have already done it, and I can just buy it. There you go. So. Fair enough. Yes. All right, Rich. Well, uh, anything else to talk about? Uh, not really. That's it. Yeah, we're uh, we're down to the down the nitty gritty here, man. Seven, cool. eight, nine, ten. We're done. Yeah, we're done next yeah. week. It's over. All right. Now That's what do fun. we do? Yeah. <laughs> now what do we, we do? I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll figure something out. I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, fun times. Uh, thanks everyone for checking us out. You can find us at the uh, Step Back at Fansided NBA. Uh, you can also find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, also, can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Both are at Over and Back NBA. So, thanks again for listening. We'll be back again soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.